We are attempting a 12-week overview of the book of Revelation. I once did it in 40 sermons, so you're blessed to uh, get this overview because I believe most Christians have been robbed of the book. We've made it the book of mystery, the book that, according to Roman Catholicism, the layman can't understand. You got to have an interpreter. No, you don't. You need the Holy Spirit. It'd help if you would read it. Blessed is he who hears the words of this book. Now, what's difficult about it, over 500 Old Testament verses are pulled together in the book of Revelation. And how many Christians know the Old Testament very well? That we don't just pick up these events out of nowhere. God had a plan that it began back here. And there was a prophecy he gave to Daniel. And Daniel was in Babylon. Now, let me paint the picture for you. According to Jeremiah, Israel, for 490 years, had failed to keep the land Sabbaths. God said, every seventh year, the land is mine. Don't plant, don't plow, leave the land alone. But if you had a bumper crop in the sixth year, would you not want to plant the next year? No, greed determined, no, if we were good in this, we're going to do it again. So God, who was the owner of the land, told Israel through Jeremiah, I'm going to collect my rent. You owe me 70 years of Sabbaths. And so I'm going to collect it while I evict you and put you down in Babylon. Daniel begins to pray in Daniel 9. And he repents on behalf of the nation. And he asks God, what is to become of your heritage? Is this it? We're going to stay down here in Babylon. And they request a song of us. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? God says, Daniel, I got a 490-year program for the future. Starting in 445 B.C., under our tax sexes, Nehemiah 1 and 2, I'm going to give the command to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. It will take 49 years. 49 years. After that, I'm going to add another 62 weeks, weeks of years, 62 times 7, of a total of 483 years from 445 B.C. And you would not believe this, but it's true. I have the book by Dr. Harold Honer. He did his thesis on this at Cambridge University, The Chronology of the Life of Christ, that the 483 years from Daniel, 445 B.C. to 30 A.D., to the day was the triumphal entry of Christ riding into Jerusalem. To the day. To the day. Don't mess. If you want some documentation, I just wanted you to 
let me, March 5th, 444 B.C. was the command, 444. It's counted in days. And when it came down, it took 173,880 days to fulfill the first 69 weeks of years, the day Christ rode into Jerusalem. And he said, if you had known your day of visitation, you would know Messiah has come to you. But according to Daniel, Messiah would come and be cut off. And he was cut off, leaving a week out there to hang. And according to Daniel 9, 27, the last week of the Jewish calendar and this prophetic event would start when the prince of the people that's reigning, Rome at that time, is going to make a covenant. And Jesus quotes this stuff in Matthew 24, that there will be an abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, came from Daniel 9. We believe that Daniel, 70th week, is described in Matthew 24 and Revelation 6 through 19. The church was mentioned 19 times in the book of Revelation. It's no longer mentioned. No longer. Only the first three chapters. And the 24 elders in heaven. There's three views about the church and the tribulation. There's the view that the church will not go into the tribulation. That God, God's final week has primarily to deal with Israel and her promised future. The church has been promised an escape route. There's another view, the mid-trib view. It's really become popular in the last 10 years because Marv Rosenthal, a Jewish believer, uh, moved to what he calls pre-wrath rapture. He says the first, the seal judgments happen to be satanic wrath, and the church has never been promised exemption from satanic wrath. So he says we go through part of it. There is the traditional post-tribulation, premillennial, the classic view uh, held by Robert Gundry and George Eldon Ladd, other men, that basically would take the view that the church is not exempt, that we do go through this period, that the timeline is simply Christ is coming again, and we live up to that time. We see two parts to the coming of Christ, his coming for the church, his coming with the church. When he comes for the church, we understand it to be before the time of the 70th week of Daniel. We don't see the church in Matthew 24. We don't see the church in Revelation 6 through 18. We see it that way. We understand that all this wrath primarily affects the inhabitants of the earth, which is a phrase in Revelation, the unbelieving world. God has business to do. He's going to finish his time clock with Israel and he's going to deal with an unbelieving, Christ-hating world. He's waited on them for 2,000 years. It's the day of his vengeance. Let's take a little outline here. Let me walk through it with you. Uh, Pre-trib, the church does not go through the trib. Mid, 
we go halfway, then we're caught up. Post-trib, there is no rapture. We just get caught up at the second coming. Now, uh, I give you some reasons that we believe that we're exempt. I want to keep going. Let's go to the tribulation period. This is all by way of intro, and uh, because we want to deal with the judgments. When you come to this subject of the tribulation, listen to the names given for it. Birth pains, day of the Lord, day of wrath, great day of their wrath, the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb, the hour of trial, the tribulation, the great tribulation, Daniel's 70th week. This is not a time of satanic attack or severe trials. This is a time of God stepping into history in judgment. The source for this tribulation is the wrath of the Lamb and the wrath of the one who sits on the throne, the Father. In chapter 4, he talks about the one on the throne. It's the father. Then there's the slain lamb. The father and the son execute this period of time. So we see it as not satanic or just, well, sometimes people uh, will speak about us guys that don't think we're going through it. Well, you're a bunch of Twinkies. You, you can't take trials. Honey, God's church has been in trials for 2,000 years, and they've been being killed, being slaughtered, being martyred. We have not been exempted from normal trials, ever. This is no ordinary trial. This is one of divine wrath for an unbelieving, Christ-rejecting world. When does this happen? When does it start? Well, Two things. Christ is coming for the church. We understand this to be the rapture. You can't find the rapture in the Bible. Just read 1 Thessalonians. Call it the catching away. I don't care what you want to call it. It's there. We get caught up. The Latin Vulgate called it rapture. So we call it rapture. But notice this. Do not forget this. Hear me. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that has to happen for the rapture to take place any moment. It is a signless event. No signs. The second coming of Christ to the earth has all kinds of signs. Matthew 24, Revelation, the man of sin, Daniel 9. It's full of signs. That event, and a lot of times you hear people say, he must come with all these signs. Well, that's okay. I know what you're saying. The t times are evil, and we've been saying this for years. He's coming. He's got to, it's closer. Well, it is closer. It's always closer. Every day is closer. But it's not a, the coming of Christ for his church is preceded by, that means he's always saying, watch, be alert. Don't let that hour catch you un, unprepared. Watch out. When he says he's coming like a thief in the night, that is not warning the church as much as the unbelieving world. 
Because you see, I'm a bride waiting for the wedding day. He won't come like a thief to me. I'm looking forward to him coming. The spirit and the bride say, come. Come. And say, oh, Jesus just broke into the house. No, he didn't break into the house. We've been looking for him for 2,000 years. But to an unbelieving world, it will be like a thief broke in on history. So Jesus could come today. I had a prof in school right on his desk, perhaps today. Is that true? Do you live like it? Boy, it got a little tough. You just dropped. You, just, you notice the, the hmm, hmm. Gone to meddling. Let's go to Revelation 6, which seems straightforward in its description. The first rider comes out. He's riding on a white horse. He's got a conqueror's crown, a Stephanos, not the one Christ wears in chapter 19, a diadem. And so who is this rider? Some make it Christ. Some make it Antichrist. The, the characteristic of it seems to be that he comes out to a broker a deal to conquer and to conquer. And the first part of the tribulation, according to Daniel, this prince to come, this Antichrist figure, he comes out and he brokers a deal with Israel and gives promises a peace pact that they enter into, probably says, I'll protect you from the Arab world. I'll protect you from Syria. I'll protect you from Russia. I'll protect you from the Gentile world that still wants to drive little Israel into the Mediterranean. Well, let's make a peace to end all this. And Israel will be plenty glad to make the covenant. They want somebody to stop the war. But according to Daniel and according to Jesus, this Antichrist figure in the middle of the week will declare himself God. 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 13, Daniel 9, 27, Matthew 24. And when he does that, the covenant is broken because the Jews are not willing to accept him as their God. They just want a peace covenant of which he breaks. Then, during this period of time, a second horseman, the four riders in the apocalypse, a red rider comes out, and he takes peace from the earth through war, and men turn on each other and begin to slaughter each other in warfare. It's amazing how many men were killed in World War II. World War I, we've seen nothing yet. We've seen nothing yet. There will be war that will break out. What follows war normally is famine. So we come to the third seal. A black horse, a man had a pair of scales. And he tells you the price of food. A quart of wheat was the day's ration for a Roman soldier. A denarius represented a day's wages. So it's saying the famine will be so bad that an adult man will have to work all day to get enough food to sustain him. Then he goes on to mention barley. Barley was the cheaper wheat, but barley has little food value for human beings. You feed it to animals. And he said 
the barley. They'll even eat barley. But it will take a man all day to work, to feed himself if he wants a better quality grain. If he goes to a cheaper quality, he might get enough for three people. And he'll have to work all day for that. Famine will have taken the food supply. When you're busy killing men, you have no time to raise crops. And so famine will come on the earth. Fourth seal, a pale horse. We get our word chlorine from this word pale. It's really a, a yellowish green, uh, often associated with decomposing bodies. And what is the name of this writer? Death. And behind him is Hades. And Hades is simply the burial place, the dwelling place of the dead. Another name for the underworld. Doesn't always represent hell. Represents just death in the grave. Death will come, but unusual kind of death. This horseman, will kill one-fourth of the world's population. Look at this. And they were given death in Hades, ride in, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. That's interesting because in Deuteronomy, when God made the Palestinian covenant with Israel, he said, I'll make the animals rebel against you, Israel, if you break my covenant. And now he's saying to the whole earth, I'm going to unleash the entire animal kingdom against you. Even they will join the feast of killing men. How many are on the earth now? About 7 billion? Have we passed 7 billion? Let's say, let's say it's 8 billion. That would say at least 2 billion people would perish. We'd wipe out China if it was just one nation. We'd wipe out India. United States, 270 million people, 280. Wipe us out. Wipe out Australia. Wipe out Britain. Uh, no big deal. One, this is one judgment. As we go on in Revelation, another plague wipes out one-third of the world. So by the time the seven-year period is ended, over half the world's population will be decimated by plague, war, pestilence. You see, all of us are on the Titanic. Some of us have an escape route. The majority don't. History is riding on the Titanic, and the iceberg is ahead, and it, are, it is the plagues of God on an unbelieving world. Then he goes to the fifth seal, and he talks about these who are killed during this period of time, and he uses the word saint and brothers. He never calls them church during this period, but they are the people of God, and the people of God that are killed during this period of time, they cry out to the Lord, when are you going to avenge those who dwell on the earth? When are you going to judge them? Look with me to 2 Thessalonians. Turn in your Bible, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1. 
2 Thessalonians. Speaking of Christ coming to the earth again, his second coming to the earth, listen to what he says. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. It is right that God will deal with those who have rejected his people and rejected his son. And so they cry. Some have said, this could not be the prayer of the saints because we were told not to pray for vengeance or to seek vengeance. These seek, the vengeance they seek is really God be just, deal out judgment, deal out judgment, judge, be fair, you're a holy God, judge. So we come to these martyrs. Then we come to the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake, and notice these similes. The sun became black as sackcloth, a dark cloth, so it's simile. The moon became like blood. It didn't turn to blood, but it became like blood, the coloration. However, the stars of the sky fell to the earth. Some think these are asteroids. As the fig tree sheds its winter fruit, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up that verse, I cannot comprehend what that will be. How do you roll up the sky? What, what would that be? To roll up the sky. I'm thinking on a starry night, is it you roll up all the stars? I don't know. I, I'm speculating. How do you roll it up? Clouds, anything in the sky, stars. I, I don't know. But he will roll it up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Does that include the Sierra? Would this include the Himalayas? How can you move that much real estate unless you're God? God's notifying the earth. I've showed up. I'm rearranging the real estate. Everything. Uh, does this include Australia? Is it an island? I know we call it a continent. I uh, every mountain, talked to some folks this morning, we're just 
in Maui. I went and visit the islands, you know, during this period. Uh, every island was removed from its place. He didn't say he swallows it up. Later on, he buries the islands. Here he just moves them. Who knows? Where they go. The kings of the earth and the great ones, the generals, all these categories of people, they begin to call for these rocks and mountains. And notice, they, they say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. How do they know that? How do they know who the Lamb is? They know where this is coming from. We got theologians that don't know, but they know. Wait. He that's on the throne, Revelation 4, is the Father. Hide us from the wrath of, why didn't they say, well, I saw an apocalyptic movie and they could pull this off at Hollywood. No, 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 no. When you're moving a whole mountain range, when you're moving islands, when you're moving real estate, when you've been through war, when you've seen a fourth of the earth perish, when you've seen famine, when you've seen blood, when you've seen broken covenants, somebody, somebody is doing something to this earth out of the ordinary. We got this flippant view of a Santa Claus God in our society. Everything's cool. Everything's, no, everything's not cool. Judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming. And they're crying for the rocks and the mountains. And our black brothers taught us years ago, we used to sing, Sinner man, where are you going to run to when Jesus comes? Where are you going to run? Where are you going to run? Where are you going to run? You'll run to the mountains, but they won't hide you. You'll run to the, it won't hide. Where are you going to run? Where are you going to run when Jesus comes? Oh, I wish, I wish you believed this. I wish we were more evangelistic because your loved ones got to get on board before it's too late because we may be swept out of here any moment and they're going to face this period of time and nobody's exempt. What a period. The months preceding my own salvation, I was terrified by all these thoughts. Terrified, terrified. I thought of amazing grace that we sang today. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. Until your heart starts trembling, you're no candidate for salvation. I long to see someone, sure enough, born again today. You, you hear me? Born again. I mean... Instead of this, we think they is, but we know they ain't. We're, we're trying to guess them at the funeral. Uh, 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 preach them into heaven, pastor. Oh, you know they're in a better place. I just lied to you. I can't get them in a better place. Instead of this, well, I'll, I'll give Jesus a try. Oh, no, no, I must test it. When I came to Jesus, I wasn't giving him a try. He was the only escape. Flee the wrath to come. Flee to the Lamb of God. Flee. Flee. You little punk, 
you're headed for hell and you're rejecting the God of your father and your God of your mother and the God of your sister. Judgment days come on. And this generation, nobody's talking this way because we got to make you feel good. We don't have to make you. When you're on the Titanic, you can get a martini. But let me tell you, honey, it's still going to sink. Rearrange all the furniture one and have the best cabin on the ship. The ship's going down. And don't, don't put your hope. Surely you're not putting your hope in this election. Woo! Man, we're in desperate straits. Oh, we're in bad. This is a prelude of worse to come. I'm about ready to vote myself in on the presidential ballot. I can do better than what I've seen. I'm afraid Carolyn wouldn't vote for me, though. Well, that's the only problem. Right here, they, they pray the great day of their wrath is coming. Who can stand? And none of us can stand unless the only way you can make it is to be in the Lamb. If you're not in the Lamb, there's no hope. Now, what does God do? In the, here's a question people often ask. Will there be anyone saved after the rapture? Does anyone get saved? Well, Revelation 7 is your answer. Two groups of people. Israel, I haven't forgot you. Now, there's our Jewish representative right there, Deborah. And, and you notice he calls them Israel. Nineteen times the word Israel is used in the New Testament, and every time, guess who it refers to? Israel. Not the church. The church doesn't replace Israel. The church is a bunch of robbers. We come in, we want all the blessings God promises, and we want none of the curses on Israel. No, no, God hasn't forgot his covenant. He told Daniel, I'm going to deal with them again. I'm going to deal with them. I, I can't make a promise to Abraham that I can go back on. I can't make a promise to David I go back on. I can't make a new covenant promise to Jeremiah I go back on. All these theologians can rearrange my promises, but I'm a God that can't lie. If I give my word, I'm going to do it. Israel, you got a future because your king is coming. Your king is coming, and us Gentiles can't eliminate them. No, sir. There's only two kinds of Jews, ethnic, racial Jews, and Jews that know Messiah. But Israel means Israel. So when he says this, this isn't church, this is Israel. Do I make myself clear? That Israel means Israel. And don't rewrite the Bible. If you don't like its teaching, repent. But don't rewrite just repent. And he says, I'm going to seal them. And after that, thank God, I think he turns these Jews, these 144. By the way, Jehovah's Witnesses, what do you do now that there's about uh, 10 million of you? A bunch of you are going to be on the outskirts of the city. And in Revelation 21, those on the outside of the city are called dogs. You want to be in the city. Jesus gets you in the city. This is Jewish evangelists, chapter 14. They're kept virgins. They never marry. And what they do when you read Matthew 24, 
this group of uh, evangelists, I believe, they will make the gospel of the kingdom known throughout the world before the coming of Christ. They will be going. I tell you, if Jews get excited about it, get going, they can do it. God will be with them. And guess what? Listen to this. And after this, I looked to behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. Hallelujah. That gets some of my kin folks in. Tribes, peoples, languages, standing before the throne. They're clothed. They've got palm branches. They're singing salvation hymn. And he asked, who are these people? These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. God is even going to save during the tribulation, and he's going to save a number you can't count, innumerable amount of people, even during the tribulation. I think many of them will be martyred, I think the Jewish evangelists are probably preserved and hid by God. But many of these Gentiles, who do they listen to? I think the preachers primarily will be the Jewish 144,000. And listen to what he says to them. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. I love that. Because when you're running for your life, you know, in the middle of the trib, the Antichrist starts pursuing people to death. When you're running for your life, you're living out under trees. You don't have shelter. You're in caves. You're hiding. And he says, when you get to the city, the lamb will shelter you. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scourging heat. I, I think this is people coming out of great tribulation. They've been hungry. They've been starved. They've been hunted down. They, they've lived in all kinds. And he says, when you get here, I'm going to eliminate all the woes you had. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Don't you love it? The lamb has become our shepherd. See, whoever shepherded Jesus, no one. But he said, I'll be your shepherd. Do you know him as your shepherd? And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Will there be tears in heaven? Will there? I'm asking you. You can say yes like that or no like that. Will there be tears? Well, what, he had something to wipe away. Now, uh, tears come for different reasons. A lot of time I used to ask my dad if I was, didn't make it to church. I said, how was the service? He said, it was a two handkerchief service. He never went to church without two handkerchiefs because he wept a lot. My dad cried a lot in church. I don't think he's talking about that kind of tears. I think it's the tears of sorrow from this life, the tears of uh, sin, the tears of 
burying loved ones, the tears of sin, tragedy, pain, the earthly journey. He said, we won't have any of that in heaven. There won't be any divorces. There won't be any wayward children. No cancer wards up here. No persecutors. That's all behind you. I don't know about you, but life is a quick journey. My three, us three boys here, we used to all hope that we lived as long as our dad. Because when he died young, we thought, "Uh uh-oh, you know, genetic connection. We probably won't make it long after him. Now I think that I'm this much older than my dad was when he died. Man, it goes quick, quick. And what if you died as a martyr? Some of you are dying, living for the wrong thing. Wouldn't it be wonderful to die for the right thing? Have you, ever, have you got any martyr friends? Not martyr complex. Martyr. Do you know any? Have you known anyone personally that was killed for the faith? These people are saying, knowing the lamb is worth dying for him. They kept the word of his testimony and kept his word. We think it's good if you make Sunday service. We think it's good if you serve three months in Sunday school. Woo, they're a martyr for sure now. We'll get them in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Now, can you imagine loving Jesus enough you die for it? Do you? Would you? I mean, that's, we all talk about how bad our country's getting. Would you, would you bow? Or would you rather die than to sell him out? He told them, you've got to keep waiting a little bit longer under that fifth seal until the complete number of martyrs is completed. God has exactly the number of people he wants to die for the faith before it's over. He's already predetermined that they should be martyrs for the glory of God. I want to show you, look at 1 Thessalonians. What you as a believer have to look forward to. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, comma, it's not, it's not a complete sentence, comma, not just to serve the living and true God, what else? And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who is delivering us from the wrath to come. Look at chapter 5, verse 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord 
And any Jew knew the day of the Lord because they knew Amos, Joel, Isaiah 13, Isaiah 11. The day of the Lord is a Jewish prophetic keynote. This is not a Gentile term. This is right out of the Old Testament. The day of Yahweh dealing in judgment. No question about it. I talked to a Hebrew scholar that spent much time pursuing his doctorate in Hebrew. said, any, any Hebrew scholar knows the day of the Lord is a time of judgment, wrath, when God is dealing with sorrow. Like that day, let me just quickly tell you nine things. It's called the day of wrath, the day of judgment, the day of indignation, the day of trial, the day of trouble, the day of destruction, the day of desolation, the day of overturning, the day of punishment. I don't have time to give you the verses. Now listen. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, tribulation, will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, I got my ticket on the unsinkable Titanic. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Jesus said this, Matthew 24, and they will not escape. Now notice, but you, who's you? He said, you, in verse 2, you are aware that the day of the Lord will come while people are saying, now it goes back, but you, you believers, are not in darkness, brothers, Christians, for that day to surprise you like a thief. It won't catch you off guard. Why? For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. For God has not destined. What wrath are you talking about? The wrath of the day of the Lord. God has not destined us for the wrath connected with the day of the Lord, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So encourage one another with these words. I turn from idols. And I've turned to serve the living God and to wait for his son to come from heaven. And if I've been promised, I've not assigned you to be in this day. It's too terrible. I'm going to shelter you in Christ. And he has no wrath for you. You see, the only way to escape the wrath of God is to get in the lamb. Get in the lamb. The only way they fought prairie fires in Kansas in the early days of the 1800s and 1900s, you didn't have a fire department in the middle of Kansas. Around there, certain places, those wheat-growing states, guess what they learned to do? Backfire. 
your only hope has backfired. Kansas folks know. El Dorado people. Start that fire. Start it back. And guess what you did? You jumped in the burned off area. That was your only safety. And there's one place in history God has poured out his wrath. It was at the foot of the cross. Outside the city limits of Jerusalem, God has poured out his wrath in history. If you'll get in on that soil by faith, if heirs by, ever since by faith I saw that fountain filled with blood, if you by faith will say, Jesus, I take you. I want to flee the wrath to come. Where can I go? He said, meet me at the cross. Wrath is already burned off here, and here you'll escape the coming holocaust, the coming storm. What keeps you from coming to Christ? What, why are you risking your eternal destiny by delaying, delaying? When Jesus may take us away, you might be saved in the tribulation, but if you won't believe now, who thinks you will ever believe then? Because there's plenty of people who have never heard of Christ yet to be saved. If you won't respond to a gospel message like this, you probably won't respond in the tribulation. Now is your time. Today is the day of salvation. If you would receive him, he'd make you his child. He promised you that. But it took this kind of fear. You see, until you fear him, I don't think you'll ever come to him. Love for Jesus is not what saves people. You've got to get saved to ever find out you can love him. For a while, we were Christ haters. Christ died for me. I had to learn to love him. I came as I was looking for a shelter from the storm. Father, I pray, wake up a sleepy church that we are so neglectful about evangelism. It could be all about more, 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 more for me when so many are candidates for judgment and we don't know how to save them. You said, Jesus, you would build your church and none of us preachers know how to do it. Only you can save. Only you can save. Only you can open the eyes. I thank you that I found a refuge in Jesus. I thank you that I'm waiting for your son from heaven, Father. I'm no longer afraid of the book of Revelation. I'm no longer afraid of divine wrath. I'm just not afraid because I've been rescued. I'm in you. I'm for you. I belong to you. It's not coming to me. It's not coming to any of your people. I thank you, Father that you gave us the book of Revelation, not to stupefy us, but to inform us that this God who started this whole thing and told us how it began has also told us how it will end. Let us believe you. Let us flee to you. Let us be awake and alert while it's still called today. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. I'll see you Wednesday night. 6.30.